minds and hearts to understand it and apply it so that we can use it, Father. Use it in our daily walk. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you want to, turn to Second Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at today. And as you do, I'm going to lighten the load a little bit. I'm going to tell you something I heard. Heard about this uh, mom. She was making breakfast for the kids. She had two boys. One was about four or five. And the other one's about seven. And uh, she was making pancakes. And if you've cooked pancakes, you know you can't cook enough for everybody at once. You've got to cook a couple and then get them off and then cook a couple more. And I always like to eat last so that I get the hot ones. I always serve them out. Well, anyway, she was fixing these pancakes and she pulled those first couple off. The boys, as boys do, began to argue over who was going to eat the pancakes. And so the, the older one was threatening the younger. The younger was crying. And mama said, you know, here's a teaching opportunity for me. So she said, boys, I want to tell you. If it was Jesus, he would let his brother have the first pancakes. So the, uh, not the youngest one, but the seven-year-old, he thought really quick. And he said, you know what? I'm usually first at everything. This time I'll let you be Jesus first. <laughs> so he got the pancakes. <laughs> anyway, Second Peter chapter 1, you know. When you, uh, when you come to a point in life when you know that my time's about up, my departure's at hand, and you do some deep reflecting upon your life and about the things that you've learned and you know and you've seen and you've experienced, you want to share that with those that you love, with those that you care about. That's what Peter's doing with us. We're going to find out today that he's going to say that my imminent departure is at hand. It's going to be a short time. So what we have before us today is Peter reflecting upon his life with Christ and in between and his journey of his failures to being the one with the keys to the kingdom, to now he's got to pass that baton on, but he, there's some things that he wants you and I to know for this life. And if you've ever had a father, mother, or grandparent who wanted to share with you their life's experience and had that opportunity, you cherish it. And you know that there's some really good things in there. That's what Peter's doing. And I pray that we can cherish it. And you'll see as we go through here. That everything that Peter is referring to. The words are giving you clues that he's thinking back. To when he was with Jesus. And all of those times. And what he wants us to reach out and to know. And you know. It behooves us. To listen to these examples, doesn't it? And to apply those words of wisdom so we don't have to make the same mistakes. And I remember there was a man named Al Hurst that worked at Lilly. He was about 74 years old when I first started. I was a young whippersnapper. 
And he told me this. He said, son, I've worked here 40 some years. And I'll tell you, there's two things you need to know. Attitude and attendance. If you will follow the two A's, you will go far in this company. I think that's a great thing on life too, isn't it? Your attitude and being a part of it. Peter is going to try to strive to get us to change our attitudes and to be attentive. We're going to see that in a word that comes up here in a minute. He's going to want us to be active and not idle and a part of things as we, as we move into this. So as we do, here's how we're going to avoid pitfalls in life. And how we're going to get ready for what I call the great escape. Because he's going to say that these things is not only going to help you now. But they're going to help you so that whenever it's time you will enter into the great kingdom. The eternal kingdom that the Lord has went to prepare for us. So with that, let's go ahead and and get ready now with with 2 Peter. We go in and we'll start with verse 8. And he says there... In verses 5, 6, and 7 that we saw last week, he said, I want you to add these things to your life then. I want you to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control, to endurance, from endurance to godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and then you add that to love. And if these things now, he begins to say, if these things not only are yours, but it means to become you. If these things become yours and who you are, and you give diligent to these things and they abound. In other words, when you pack to go on a trip for vacation, what you put into that suitcase is what you're going to pull out when you get there, right? So, same thing with us. What you put into your being What you pack in here is what you're going to unpack as you're going through life. So he says, if these things are in you, if you've packed them, and they abound so that they come out of you, he says, I'm going to tell you that you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word barren there. We're going to study the words a little bit today because each word we will see as it was amazing. As you looked up these words and you saw where they were used at, he's referring back to Jesus every time. And he says, they will make you these things to be neither barren nor unfruitful. And we think of barren as being like the grass lot out there. Nothing there, right? Uh, Empty. Yes, that is one of the things. But what the real term is is idle. This word is argos. And what it was is whenever Jesus used it back in Matthew 12, this is the first time the word's used. And it goes back and it says, He's just called the scribes and the Pharisees a brood of vipers. That's a way to make friends, isn't it? A brood of vipers, why are you out here? And he says, either make the tree good or make it bad. Why? Because what you are is what is out. It's either good or bad. What, who you are and what you've been packing in is what's going to come out. And then he says this, out of the abundance of what you've packed in here, out of the abundance of the heart and the mind, the mouth speaks, it unpacks. What you've put in 
unpacks out then he says and then he says know this I say to you that every yeah empty or idle there's our word every idle word that you speak you'll give an account of in that day of judgment every idle word that you speak every empty idle one and by your words you are justified and condemned and I said, ouch, this is one of the hard passages of the Bible, isn't it? And it wasn't me to say, it was Jesus. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and every idle word is going to come back to haunt. So the first thing I did was repented and prayed because I needed to. And then I moved on with the study and it says, Add these things to your life so that what comes out isn't idle and empty and foolish and I'm going to have to give an account of. And then he goes on. This word, the next time that it's used, is used in a parable. And that parable was the parable of the vineyard and the workers. And it goes like this. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. And that got my attention. Because that's where we want to go, right? So, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man who had a vineyard. And he hired people. He went to the marketplace. He went down to where the workers are gathering who wants to be employed and be a part of this. He went there and he searched and he found some workers. And they bargained that the day's wage would be a denarius. And he sent them out into the field. Three hours later... The landowner's walking about and he looks over at the marketplace and there's some more people that are what? Yep, they're idle. <laughs> and he says, hey, I'm going to put you to work. They say, okay. And he sends me, I like what he said, whatever's right is what I'll pay you. You always know that whatever the Lord's going to grant to us is right. And he says, whatever's right, I'll give to you. And they went on and trusted him and went to the field. Same thing happened at the sixth hour, the ninth hour, at the eleventh hour, one hour before the end of the day. He goes again, and it says that he walked by, and what did he see? More people standing idle. You know what he said to him? Look up there. What did he say? Why are you idle? Why are you standing there idle? Get busy going to the field. Now I won't go into the whole parable where the guys that was hired in the morning got mad at him because he paid the guys at the end the same wage. That's a different parable for a different day. But on this, the point is, it seems to me he's making a point that human nature likes to be idle. That we'd rather stand around the marketplace hoping that maybe we don't get hired out if we do, well, we need to go, but we've got to avoid the pitfall of being idle, of not participating, not being a part, attitude and attendance, having both of those enacted with us. So he says, get busy and don't be behind. Why? Because how does it end in verse 16? Many are called, he, he called for them, but few are chosen. Because few like to really diligently add these things to their life and get busy with it. Then we get back to Second Peter under our text. 
So we see that that's where he's talking about when he says when you bring these things in and they abound out of you, you won't be idle. You'll be busy. You won't be bare and empty. But you will be at it and then unfruitful. Well, that's the parable of the sower. You remember that, that the sower went out to sow the seed and some fell upon the rock and some fell upon this, the path. But then it says that there was the rocky soil, the empty soil. There was the one that the thorns grew up. And the thorns grew up and the cares of this world, he explained, choked out the word from the people so that the field was unfruitful. So that's going to be a big point in a minute. Because we don't want to be not only idle and barren, but that makes us to be unfruitful because we forget to see the end from the beginning. Because now we go to the next things. Verse 9 of our text. You see, he wants us to add these things and be a part, but whoever these things are not present in, if we decide that that's not important right now blind is he and short-sighted now now here's a cool thing here not that they're blind or short-sighted but the cool thing is is again the words that he's using the word for blind means to be able unable to see because of a smoke screen the smoke is there and it's getting in your eyes and so you can't see through it or far off it makes you short-sighted. The smoke. You, you've heard the phrase, oh, you're just blowing me smoke. See, that's what the world does to us. It blows you smoke. It blocks out the view of the end that we're searching for, the reward. So it, it comes up and creates a smoke screen and makes you short-sighted. And here's the cool word. Sighted is from ophthalmology where we get the eye doctors. But... Short is a very cool word called mysterion. It's where we get mystery. And so what it says is when the world gives you a smoke screen, when you decide not to be busy and adding these things into your life, then the smoke builds up and you don't see through it and you fail to see the mystery that is there. And the mystery... The concordance said, this word doesn't mean something that's unknowable. It means something that has been hidden, that is revealed through the counsel of the word of God. So what he's saying is, is when you, remember it was knowledge that you gain all these things. If you're in 2 Peter 1 and you look, you start in verse 2, it was by knowledge. Verse 3, it's by knowledge. Verse 5, by knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These things are there. In verse 8, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge. You see, that's where you learn the secret of the mystery. That's where you learn that there is another thing. What's the secret of the mystery? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That secret is, is that he came and died for our sins and we are now new creatures in Christ. So we're busy in his vineyard. We're to get busy and go at it. We are not blinded by the devil and the world and the smoke that's there. We're not short-sighted to only see what's going on around us because that's so easy to do. But he says it will allow you to penetrate past that 
you won't be short-sighted, unable to see the mystery that's out there that's being revealed to you. Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to get caught up in life and the events that are going on right around you. And that's why he is telling us then in verse 10 up here. Be even more diligent to continue to do these things. Man, you've got to work at it. It takes effort, but it's worth it. These are the dying words of Peter on what he wants you to know as his final words. He says, don't get short-sighted forgetting that you've been cleansed from your old man of sin. But be more diligent to what? Make your calling and your election sure with him. Why? We got to take it serious. Do this. That's a part. And then it comes with a promise. If you do these things, if you put them into practice and they are yours and they abound, you will never stumble. You will not fall. You won't get tripped up by the things in life. You'll be able to see clearly. And then he says, the Lord will provide an entrance to us that's paid for abundantly by him into his everlasting kingdom. Isn't that a great promise? And the promise is, To take this stuff in and live it. And when you do, you've got a great reward. Keep your eyes not short but far on that uh, kingdom that is everlasting. And because that kingdom in his last days has become his passion for life. He goes on in verse 12 and says, For this reason. Because not only am I searching for this, but I want you to have it too. For this reason, I will always be ready to tell you about this. Even though you might have matured, even though you might already know it, even though it seems like I am repeating it and repeating it to you, it's worth the trouble. I'm going to keep on as long as I am in this tabernacle, this tent, this temporary body on this earth, as long as I am here. I am going to continually remind you of these things. So if I preach the same thing a couple of times, I've got good authority. Because he wants to continue. What did Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep. Feed them, right? This is what he's doing with us. He's trying to feed us. And he says, as long as I'm alive, I will continually tell you these things and you might sit there and think I already know this Peter you might say I've got a grasp no I'm going to keep on I'm going to keep on telling you and letting you know because it's important and the clue that's going on in his mind right now is when he uses the word to stir you up as long as I am in this tabernacle I will continually stir you up (laughs) That goes way back. That word goes to Matthew 26 in his reflections. And what it says was this. This was the time when they went to Gethsemane. He's getting ready to be taken by the Roman guard and the high priest captive that night. Go through the trials and the next day go to the cross. And so it says they go out to the garden of Gethsemane. 
And he stops and he tells them to stay here while I pray. But then he selects Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, and tells them to come on farther with him. And they go a little farther. And he tells them, you guys stay right here. I am exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Oh, he was in pain and agony inside. And he said, would you please watch and pray with me while I pray? And he goes over and falls flat on his face and he begins to pray. And he begins to pray, Father, if there is any other way, if there is a possibility that it can happen any other way, let this cup pass from me. Don't allow me to have to do this. But if not, not my will, but your will be done in this. And then Jesus, from that agony of that prayer, falling flat on his face, says he comes back to Peter, James, and John. And what does it say that he found them? Sleeping. <laughs> Sleeping. I'm going to tell you that word stir up that he used a minute ago that I will constantly stir you up means to arouse from a sleep. It's like when if you grew up with the Beverly Hillbillies and Granny says, Jed, get Jethro stirred up so that we can get moving and get out of here. That means go wake him up because we got something to do. Peter, James, and John, the best friends of Jesus in his most agonizing hour before they take him, he says, watch with me. And he comes back and they're asleep. And he says, what? And it says, if you look up there specifically to Peter, Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? He goes back and prays a second time. He tells them, man, your mind seems to be willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that the truth? Many times we're weak in the flesh, and, but our, in our mind we wanted to. He goes and prays a second time. Father, again, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. He comes back again after scolding them, and what's he find them? Sleepy groggy-eyed, unable to be stirred up. So he goes and prays again, and it says he said the same thing. And he comes back, and he says, What? Still sleeping? Still resting? Then what's he say in that last verse? Rise. That's the word stir up. Stir up, arise, wake up. Why? Because the enemy's here, and they're coming to get me. So when Peter says... That as long as I live now, with everything that's within me in this tent, I'm going to stir you up. Why? He's going back to himself. I'm about ready for my departure. When it was time for my Lord to depart, I slept. You see, he's still not totally over things, forgiving himself. I was asleep. So as long as I am in this body, I'm going to try to stir you up like he tried to stir me up those three times. To wake up, be a part of it. Why? Because the enemy is wanting to come after us the same way it came after Jesus in that garden. He says, I'm going to continue to stir it up. I think, going back to our text, it's of the utmost importance for me to keep on reminding you 
to stay awake, to be alert, to be diligent, not to be idle and barren and unfruitful and getting choked out by the world. As long as I'm in this body. And in verse 14, he goes on to tell us, shortly it's happening, knowing shortly that I'm going to put off my tent, I'm going to die. And just as the Lord Jesus showed me, you see, everything is about his time with the Lord in those last days. So he goes back now. This is John chapter 21. That's part of all of these are part of your Berean chapters. So as we prepare to close in John 21, it's a continuation of what we started with last week because all of it is a continuation of him with Jesus. And it's the time when they're on the beach. Jesus is on the beach. They're out in the boat. You remember that night when Peter says, okay, I give up. I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you. And so they go out fishing. And unlike Gary, they fished all night and caught no fish. He's been showing me pictures of some biggins. So they fished all night, caught no fish. Jesus, as the morning cracked, he's standing on the beach and he calls out, children, did you catch any fish? They said, no. He said, throw it on the right side of the boat, see what happens. And it almost sunk the boat. They couldn't get the net up. John screams, it's the Lord. Peter dives in. He swims in. He's standing there before the Lord in all of his wetness, in all of his, yeah, I was back on my boat. And the Lord loved him. And he had breakfast, fellowship. And then he said three times, you remember, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend to my sheep. That's what he's doing in this epistle. The third time after he asked him, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, okay, feed my sheep. And then he said this. This is where I'm going with this. Because he said, my departure is at hand from this. Put off this tent as the Lord showed me. It's right here. Next verse. It says, you know what, Peter? Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you. You were young, yeah, you were strong, you did what you wanted, you could dress yourself, go what you wanted, do what you wanted to do. But one day, Peter, one day you're going to get older. And when you're older, someone else is going to dress you up. Someone else is going to gird you and bind you. And they're going to stretch out your arms. And it says there that Jesus said this signifying... The type of death that he was going to receive. In other words, he's saying to Peter, you're going to be crucified. That's what the term stretching forth of the arms means. You're going to get arrested just like I did. You're going to get bound and tied there just like I was. And then you're going to die on the cross just like I did. You're going to have your chance to make it all up to me. But until then, you're going to feed my sheep. And I'm going to entrust you with that. And you know, all of this time he's tried to prepare himself by adding to his faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and all of these things. And he's got to the point to where he is so confident. He says, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to put off my tent even as the Lord showed me. This time I'm not going to run. I'm not going to deny I'm not going to get out of there. I'm going to follow through because I can withstand it now. Because I've added these things to my life. History, the Bible doesn't tell us about the crucifixion. But history does. 
History bears it out by the church fathers through the time periods that around 64, 65 A.D., Peter was led to the cross and placed upon the cross, still under the conviction of his heart of all of those times when he felt like he'd let him down. He said this, I don't feel worthy as they led him there to be crucified in the same manner that my Lord was. So would you do me a favor and crucify me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to be just like him. And they granted Peter's wish. And the history bears out that he was crucified upside down for his Lord. As our worship team returns. He was not only just crucified upside down, but he glorified God. Isn't that what Jesus told him? He said, you're going to stretch forth your arms. This is how I'm signifying your type of death. That you will glorify God by. And you say how do I follow that up? How, how, do I, how do I follow that up like Peter did? Well John gives us. Or not John but Paul. Gives us a clue in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And he says it like this for you and I. I am crucified with Christ. You know what that means? We give up our life for him. When we die, in, when we accept Christ, we are dying to this life so that we might live anew. We become a new creature and the old man is gone. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I still live. But while I live this life in this temporary flesh, this tent, as Peter said, while I am living this life in the flesh, I'm going to live it by faith. What's the first thing he said to add in your life? Faith. Add to that virtue. As I am crucified with Christ and living in this tent, I am going to do it in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So that's the challenge, folks, for you and I. To lose this life. To become that new creature. To add these things from the knowledge of the word to our life so that we're not only abundant now, but that everlasting home. Don't get short-sighted. Don't get blinded by the smoke, the cares of the world. Don't be idle, but diligently, he said twice, add these things and do it. And you will not be barren, unfruitful, but you will abound in things And the entrance provided. And it's by crucifying self. And adding those things. That's a challenge. To me and you. Let's pray. Oh Father. So thankful for these examples in your word. To give us encouragement to keep on keeping on. Because like Peter. You chose such a great disciple to represent these things in life for us because we like him father speaking for myself failed many many times so father pray for forgiveness your love and i i pray that i can be crucified daily and add these things so that you might be glorified not only in life, but if something happens with death itself. 
thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.